Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. I'm thankful and blessed that you guys are here, and I have the blessed opportunity to serve here as uh, your lead pastor. My name is Israel Martinez, and I want you to know that you uh, if you are, are here, you are loved, and we love you. And more importantly, God has a reason for you to be here, and I believe he loves you too. If you are a guest, you are welcome dearly, and we want you to know that and feel that and, and to feel and to see the love of Christ today from our actions and our interactions with you as we connect. So if you're new, please fill out a connect card. We would love to get to know you, to connect with you, and encourage you today. And so I, I want you to think with me now. We're, we're going to talk about this big idea. Do you know the Christ? But let's look at that word know, right, or knowledge. And so what is knowledge? For ages, humanity has searched deep and far and wide to have knowledge. It's something we do and we want. Um, uh, to, to know things, to have answers. And it's a natural human, God-given intuition to want to know things and to have knowledge. It's not bad. Some people love learning. And it's beautiful to see this, especially in a little kid who is excited about learning and growing in life or growing in something new. And some people keep that hunger and yearning for, for knowledge and learning their whole life. And then there are some that usually after high school or during high school or um, uh, you know, sometime, again, before or after, really lose that desire and yearning to learn and know. Some because um, they become content and they're like, I'm good. Like, I'm not a school person. And, and their brains kind of get to a capacity. And so they can even shut down their ability to learn and process because they think they're dumb. They think they're slow. They don't have the right motivation to learn anything. So they spend the rest of their days on the metaphorical couch of life, eating chips and mindlessly watching TV, literally or metaphorically, or just watching videos on YouTube and like not really learning or growing or progressing. And, and, and they're just happy as a clam to not ever challenge themselves or learn something new. So whether you are the learner person or the non-learner, our sin nature gets in the way, either way. So Ecclesiastes says it this way. This is one of the most beautiful uh, scriptures on wisdom. So at the end of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 12 says, My son, says, be aware, pay attention, be aware of anything beyond these, anything beyond the wisdom of God's word. He says, of making many books, there is no end. How many books, especially now, right? Everybody and their mama writes a book. And you read them all, and, and, and there's really not much there a lot of times. And some books are good. It's not saying that. But it says the study of too many books uh, is, is weariness on the flesh. And so I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've, ever have a, if you've gone to college, high school, master's degree, PhD, whatever you've done. I've done a lot of studying. And at some point, you're like, okay, I'm done. You read, you, you've read that book, or you've read this thing, or you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm tired. Because it's true that too much knowledge, especially now with the internet and this, and this person says this conspiracy theory here, this thing here, this, this view here, this view here, like, oh my gosh, what's real? What's not real? Can we really know anything? And so knowledge worship, this is what happens too on the other side. People will, will, will chase the idea of knowledge. They forget God and they start worshiping the idea of knowledge. And, and I would even argue the person that, it is the, the non-learner has their own knowledge that they've built of just like, I'm just going to be here, chill, make it. It doesn't matter. Laziness is the knowledge, their, their idolatry. 
But, but a lot of us, again, no matter where you are on this, uh, on this spectrum, knowledge, worship, or chasing knowledge actually is pointless because the, the more you know, the less you know. Like, the, it's true. The more you actually know, the less you know. Ask any scientist. Ask any musician. The more you get into music, the more you think you know, the more you're like, oh, man, there's so much there. And so also there are secret things of the Lord that we can't know. Dude, as Deuteronomy 29, 20, and this messes with us as humans, um, it teaches us why so many waste time on knowledge, worship, and chasing knowledge. As the Greek philosopher Aristotle famously wrote, the more you know, the more you realize you don't. That's, that's a smart person. A person that thinks they're smart and knows stuff, it doesn't mean you can't be confident and know something. We have to know something. But to think you know everything is dangerous. So many people get overwhelmed with knowledge and the, and, and the knowledge of God specifically because it's intimidating. It's like, I can't, I don't know. What about this? What about that? This person, that person. And so the Bible is also clear that being lazy or that person that doesn't want to seek knowledge, that's not good either. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So to do work, what do you need? Knowledge of something, right? Uh, may, even if you're just hitting the ground or doing for you need knowledge. You need to know how to use a tool. You need to know that knowledge. So being lazy is not the way. Proverbs 6, 6, 6 through 11 says, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Consider its ways so we can learn from an ant. Knowledge from an ant, okay? This is what the Bible says. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at harvest, ha- harvest. We can learn from an ant. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So to work and to learn even from the work ethic of an ant is good, the Bible would say, right? Knowledge is not bad. Knowledge in of itself is a good thing. Remember Proverbs 1-7. We did this series in the summer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. It doesn't even say fools despise knowledge. Fools despise wisdom. Knowledge is, wisdom is knowledge applied. So fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools hate discipline. Because how do you learn stuff? You have to be disciplined. So, I want you to think about what you actually know. Like, what does this room bring to the table? Like, what knowledge do you personally have? What skills do you have? What things do you know? I mean, what, again, can you bring to the table? What knowledge can you bring to the table of humanity? Maybe you're young, maybe you're old, I don't know. What area of knowledge do you really like or know? Science, math, what do you want to know? Music, history, money, airplanes, philosophy, theology, Like, what can and what do you actually know? What are you good at? Now, are knowing just these facts in your head knowledge? Can you apply those facts? Can you use the knowledge you know and actually do something with it? There's a person who's like, oh, yeah, I play guitar. Or like, yeah, I sing. Or like, I do this thing or that thing. Like, oh, yeah, I can dunk a basketball. Oh, really? Okay. 
And then you're like, we have a, a joke in, in Spanish culture. Like, okay, play something, play something, play something. And the, the person, they, they can't play. They can't do the thing. So a lot of us, a lot of Americans are this way. It's like, I speak a little Espanol, totally. And they're like, hola, como estas, burrito, taco. And it's like, and then you get a German person. You're like, oh, my English is horrible. I, I, I'm declining the words and I forget the grammar. I was like, bro, you just said declension. You're good. Like your, your English is good. So Americans, we're arrogant. We think, we're, but do you actually know stuff? I'm sure you do. But, but does the learning and knowledge you have acquired the course, during the whole course of your life, does it allow you to actually confront the question of do you know or do you have knowledge of the Christ? Do you know the Christ? Does the learning and knowledge you have acquired during the whole course of your life actually allow you to confront the question, do you really know the Christ? Or have you lived your whole life with the wrong version of Jesus and the wrong knowledge of him. Maybe your knowledge has actually uh, driven you uh, to your own very personal version of Jesus who is not actually the Christ. That's kind of scary. You see, today we're going to study from John 7, 1 through 52. We read that first part to set up our focus on verses 25 through 52. And we're going to see that the text teaches that people who encounter Jesus will not fully know him. As they question and are confused about if they could truly know him, as they come to grips with the question, do you know the Christ? So let's look at our text and review the first section Brian re- uh, I, that I was reading for us today in John 7, 1 through 24, where we're going to see our first point today, that people who encounter Jesus could not fully know him. So we see Jesus at this festival, if you remember uh, the reading. And it's this festival of booths or, or tents or tabernacles. It's a celebration of God's faithfulness during the Israelites wandering the wilderness after God rescues them from 400 years of slavery. So they would have this festival as a fun time. And there are lots of people in Jerusalem, which is... Um, where they would go and worship. And we see Jesus with his brothers or his hermanos, right? His hermanos. Not, maybe there was his siblings. He was there with his siblings. Um, and we see these are the ones that would come from Mary and, and Joseph. Now, remember, Jesus was born of a virgin and he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Um, and some people believe that Mary was a virgin her whole life. But we see here that claim is not true. She had a purpose of marrying Joseph to have a husband and have a family and be with him. Um, But we see here that Jesus's family did not believe or know him. Look at verses um, in John 7, 3 to 5. Real quick, we'll just look at these. John 7, 3 to 5 says, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples, your learners also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers or siblings believed in him. And so we see clearly that Jesus' own brothers and, and sisters, more than likely, who saw perfection for over 30 years, they could not see it. Man, they had first count knowledge. They saw him do everything. They couldn't believe him or truly know him. But we got to give his siblings a break. Come on, like, who of us would think anything about our siblings? You know, honestly, we got to give his siblings a break. Um, What brother or sister, again, gives their siblings any street cred? I mean, you've been with them your whole life. You've smelled their morning breath. You've seen their bathroom activities and their habits. It's super duper hard to look at your sibling and to think, um, 
that they have, you know, um, they have any value sometimes, if we're honest, right? Bible says, love your brother. It's super hard because you've, you've seen them um, uh, mess things up, uh, do things wrong. Now, Jesus was perfect, but even in his perfection, his siblings are like, nah, mom, he did it. Ma, I didn't do it. Mary, I didn't do it. Dad, he did it. How many times did those kinds of things happen? Do you really think they thought Jesus was perfect? No. They would have thought he was sinful, even though he wasn't. He probably called them out. A little baby Jesus, or a little eight-year-old Jesus was like, you shouldn't be doing that, blah, blah, blah. He probably gave him a little mini sermon, and then they're like, you're an idiot. I hate you. Who knows? We don't know, but stuff like that probably happened. And I'm sure Jesus' home, although he was perfect, his siblings blamed him for stuff or were probably jealous. And they're like, man, this guy's fake. He's just sucking up to mom and dad. You know, you've been there with your siblings, right? You're like, man, they're fake. I don't like them. They were like, come on, Jesus, our brother. There's no way there's anything special about this dude. Come on. Don't you know him? And if we're honest, our culture says the same thing. Oh, it's just old religion. I mean, there's Islam. There's Buddhism. There's this thing. There's that thing. Come on. Like, Jesus isn't really the way. Now, the other Jews also did not believe or know Jesus. So they encounter Jesus' teaching, and they are like, how is this uneducated man teaching like this? So they see something. They're like, man, this guy's got some authority. But they still don't believe. They recognize something there. And Jesus says that he is doing God's will. Look at verses 16 through 20 of chapter 7, which say, So Jesus answered them. He said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. And then he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. You seek to kill me. And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who, 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 who is seeking to kill you? They're like, what's up, man? You're the one who's demonic. You see, Jesus had just said that he is God. He said he's the bread of life in John 6. But here he shows that he is truly Human, too. He's God, but he's human. Why? As his human nature is submitted to do the Father's will. And man, if Jesus, the perfect human, who was also God, submitted to the Father's will, and he knew a lot more than we do, how much more should we? You see, sometimes we want the answers. We want the knowledge. We want to have everything figured out before we seek Jesus and and are obedient to what he's called us to do. And again, if Jesus was the one who submitted to God's will, how much more should we? He did it perfectly. And so, just like Jesus' family, the Jews here misjudge Jesus. And they actually say that the perfect Jesus had a demon in him. That's crazy. And they're accusing him of when he healed the invalid man in John 5. And Jesus, to end this chunk of text, says in John 7, 24, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So you see, Jesus is the only person in history who can say, don't judge me. He's the only one that can actually say that. You and I can't. And maybe, again, you've heard people in church or the church will say, don't judge me. You don't know. You can't judge me for whatever reason. This is wrong. And sometimes as Christians, we're trying, because the culture is telling us this thing, and we're trying to be like, oh, I can't call them out on this thing, or I can't, I can't, I have to be humble, and that's false humility. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it, but at some point, 
There's a crossroads when you're going to have to call people up, call them out lovingly, call them to the gospel. And that's a nuanced thing. It doesn't mean you always have to go to the sin issue directly, but sometimes you will. Jesus does. He calls out in John 4, the Samaritan woman, he says, you've been sleeping around with five dudes. You have five husbands, and the one with now is not your husband. He goes directly to the sin. He tells the rich young ruler, Similar thing. He says, he's, he says, can you keep the commandments? He says, I've kept all the commandments. He's like, but Jesus is like, well, then sell your money. He goes to his heart. His money is his idol. He says, give that up. Give that dream up. So, so Jesus was the master at this, and we can do this wrong. But again, people judge, and Christians, people, the world is going to judge you. And, and, and Christians, we can actually judge, but we have to judge, as Jesus says here, do not judge by appearances. That's what we do. Oh, man, their Instagram is big. Oh, they're this. They're famous. They're that. Or, or, they, or, or um, oh, they look nice. Or, or they, they, this thing or that thing. We judge by how people look. We judge by how we think they are doing. But we don't look at the heart. God looks at the heart. And God judges with right judgment. And we can do that too. Like, we don't have to live in fear. You can judge like Jesus. Judge, judgment is a dirty word in church. It's not. It's a biblical concept. Matthew 7, Jesus says it again. You hypocrite. Because people are judging the wrong way. He says, first take that big log out of your eye, then you will see clearly the little speck that's in your brother's eye. So our first point stands true, that people who encounter Jesus, they're going to judge him wrong. And that, that, that people who encounter Jesus could not fully know him. You see, Jesus' family and the Jews miss out on knowing him because they had their own interpretation of the knowledge of Jesus. That's scary. Many of us do this. And again, this happens to us today as well. We have our own version of Jesus, of what the church should be, of what, who he is. So let's keep working and look at our main text today. And so we're going to see our second point today in John 7, 25 through 31, that people who encountered Jesus questioned if they could truly know him. So even if you start to be like, oh, I don't know, you're going to, we as humans will question if we can truly know him. Look at verses 25 through 27 with me. It says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So they're like, man, do they know something we don't know? You kind of start to see the hint of like, man, them recognizing that Jesus is different. But then he says, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And so we see here they questioned his authority. They're starting to see something there, and then they questioned it. And then Jesus verifies his own authority, as the text says. Look at verse 28 through 29. It says, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me. Huh. You know where I come from. He's like, you're lying. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not, how many times does it say this word no? You do not know, he says. I know him, the Father, for I come from him and he sent me. So this knowing Jesus thing is super important. But then in verse 30 through 31, they question his miracles. So then the text reads, so they were seeking to arrest him, and we will do this too as humans, right? We are going to question his authority, and we will question his miracles. 
So they were seeking to arrest him, but one uh, laid, it said, but no one laid a hand on him. They wanted, but they're like, man, we can't. We don't have the right, it's not the right. It says, because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't the right time of the father. So evil people cannot do things unless God allows it to happen. That should comfort you. Wars, horrible things that happen. God has to allow Satan and his demons to do those things. And he does. And that's a whole other thing to to wrestle with the, the justice of God. But here we see that because of this, that God, pulled, God did not allow them to do their evil yet. It said, yet many of the people believed in him. They actually believed, which is a synonym for knowing him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So we see some believed. But then in verses 32 through 36, they still questioned his intentions and motives. The text reads, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering. And there's always two kinds of people that interact with Jesus, the believers and the non-believers. Even those who are in church and seem like they're believers, they told you their whole life they believe, doesn't mean that they know God, or better yet, that God knows them. Look at verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one, like, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach them the Jews had scattered? And he's like, okay, is that what he's talking about? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. And so clearly we see our second point is true, that, that, also, that is also true of people today. That people who encounter Jesus will question him. They will question if they can truly know him. They, they, they will question his authority, just like they did. They, they, they will question his miracles, and they will question his intentions and motives. Jesus is like, you just don't get it, which kind of leads to our third point today, that it, 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 wrestling with the things of Jesus and, and asking these questions about his authority, his miracles, his intentions, his motives, when you question Jesus, it leaves you confused. And that's our third point today, that people who encounter Jesus are confused about if they can know him. And when you really come to a point of dealing with this, there will be some confusion. Let's look at our text. And I would argue that if you are a believer, you will come to those moments of crisis or growth where you, where you will hit this idea of something that God's doing is like, I don't get it, God. You don't just know everything instantly. So let's look at verses 37 through 39. It says, on the last day of this feast, this great day where they were celebrating, it says, Jesus stood up and it says he, he cried out like with passion. If anyone thirsts, he's alluding to what he had just talked about, being the bread of life. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So they encounter Jesus' truth, which echoes the teaching of, of, again, of him being this bread of life or this eternal life, our life source. Jesus is the life source for humanity. And that starts with initial salvation in Christ. And here Jesus uses another metaphor of Christians as having hearts of rivers of living water. A lot of times we come to texts like this, we're like, ah, whatever, it's just metaphorical, I don't get it. He tells us what it means, it's the Holy Spirit living in you. 
And I hope that you see this as a beautiful gospel message and metaphor of what it means to know Christ. To not just know about Christ or about his gospel message and word. We live in a supernatural world. And we're in a supernatural battle. And I pray that instead of knowing about him, just about God and, and, and thinking you know the knowledge that you rather can have a true, intimate, deep relationship that would produce and is producing a, a, a new heart that continues to grow rivers, plural, that would produce living water. That's real knowledge. This is an allusion to having the Holy Spirit of God in us, the same spirit that Christ had who through Christ loves or abides, lives in us and gives us that living water. This living water, the Holy Spirit, who hovered the earth at the beginning with Jesus and the Father at creation, and they wrote the the highest of stories, the most complete and beautiful story, the gospel story of God with us. Where God made man in his image, he made everything good, and then God, in his plan, in his sovereignty, his precise plan, he allowed sin to enter the world. He wasn't caught off guard. He allowed Satan, our accuser, a created being who is part of uh, his plan and playing a, uh, has a part to play in, in this story to deceive man and lead man to sin. Like Satan actually has a plan to play. He's not in control And then what happens? Through this, man's true nature apart from God shows up. And man then sins in wanting to be like God. Then man's sin becomes something that man is now a slave to, which comes from birth and is passed on to us all. And the sin is something that can't be shaken. As the fall distorts the world and shows us as humans that that we cannot know God on our own. And Adam and Eve and all humanity, it says they wanted the knowledge of of, of good and evil, knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Hmm, interesting. And, And they got it. Adam and Eve got what they wanted. And they succumbed to sin's lies. God has actually given us as humans what we want. What you want is in your own flesh is not God. It's sin. It's nastiness. It's it's disgusting things. That's what we want in our of ourselves. And again, Adam and Eve wanted the knowledge of good and evil, and they got what they wanted. They succumbed to sin's lies and fell for uh, Satan, the serpent's deception, just like you and I have. You see, because man will bow down to evil when confronted with it. We have no choice. We see evil, we're like, yes, I want it. We have no power to defeat sin. And we're slaves to sin's darkest whispers. And this left man and leaves us hopeless without a way to answer the question, do you know the Christ? Because man was not able to know him on their own, and that's why God allowed sin to show us. We feel like, why, God, why did you bring sin in the world? It's to show you and me that Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who could deal with sin. And, he, and, and, and the Father did that. Through sending his son, God did that by making Jesus a human. That's why his name is Jesus. The son of God then became Jesus, a human that was also God. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, who was fully God from the beginning of time, had come to earth and lived among his creation, 
us, these sinful, broken humans who could not and did not want to know him, just like his siblings. And so he lived this perfect, humble life, this life of perfection from a baby to his childhood to living among his siblings and family who were like, man, this guy's a joke, to then becoming a grown man. And then when perfection was staring his siblings, staring you and me in the face, staring humanity in the face, his family again could not know him and the world could not know him. Humanity rejected him and could not know him. And we um, also as humans could not know him and we rejected him as well. We all said, I don't want to know the Christ. I don't want anything to do with him. In our best intentions, this is what we have said. We spit on the Savior's face. And our text proves there, the people in the text, and our inability to know Jesus. And that should have us broken and sad. As it shows and verifies our third point, that people who encounter Jesus are confused about, if we're honest, if we could know him. You in yourself come to the table confused and broken, and I don't know. I don't know if this thing is real. I don't know if... I, if if I can really know this guy. You see, they're confused about his title. They're confused about his origin. They're confused about what they thought he deserved for his actions. Look at verses 40 through 52. It says, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. They see him one way. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? They're confused. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They're confused again. So there was division among them, among the people over him. And some of them wanted to arrest Jesus. And some of them, uh, but, but, but it says, but no one laid hands on him. And verse 40, 45 says, and the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? They're like, come on. And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They, they had some kind of respect or fear. They saw something that was not normal, that was not uh, for them natural. It was a supernatural thing. And then the, the text continues. No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? They're like, you, you're deceived by this, this, this crazy guy, Jesus? Verse 48, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? It says, but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They're like, these, these people don't know the law. We're the religious leaders. We're the Pharisees. We know the law. And like, these people don't get it. And then verse 51 continues, does our law judge a man without the Nicodemus? I'm sorry, verse 49, but the, it says, but the crowd, but this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. Verse 50, then Nicodemus, if you remember John 3, the one who Jesus, who was confused, and Jesus says, you're born again, man. You're made new. The old is past, the new has come. This man, Nicodemus, now comes kind of to defend Jesus. So we think he's saved by the way he interacts here, that he actually became born again, because John 3, we're not sure. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and any who was out of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Hey, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Because see, even if Jesus was right, they didn't want to know him. They didn't want it to be true. You see, they, they're all confused. 
about his title of Messiah or prophet. At the beginning, they, they thought, the Jewish people thought that would be two different people. But Jesus comes and says, no, no, I'm both. So they're confused about that. They are confused about his origin. They're like, man, the prophet can't come from Galilee. They, they said they were smart. They're like, the people are dumb. They don't know the law. We know the law. And this is what Christians do too sometimes. But they did not know because they didn't know the word. They really didn't know the word. John 5 says, you serve the scriptures, but you don't see me. Verse, uh, it, it continues. They, 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 again, they were confused about his origin. They didn't realize that he was, he was, he was, um, that he was supposed to come from Galilee in a sense. Jonah came, they, they, like a prophet can't come from Galilee. Jonah came from Galilee. More than likely, Elijah and Nahum came from Galilee. Remember, Jesus says, you have been given no sign but the sign of Jonah. It's a gospel sign. But they did not, it says, but again, they didn't really know Jesus. They missed that he was actually born in Bethlehem too, right? That's what we, we all know that because we maybe have heard even non-Christians know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem sometimes from a prophecy in Micah 5 too. So they were, they were confused. They think they knew something. They, they, they thought they knew something about Jesus, but they didn't. And they're confused about what they thought he deserved for his actions. So the Pharisees wanted to kill him. But it was not his time. And although they did not know him as God, they knew again something powerful was among them. And they thought it was a demonic. And that there was something mysteriously different about Jesus. But they still wanted to accuse him and kill him. That's how humans operate, right? Now Nicodemus, again, who believed, we believe, becomes born again. He was regenerate from chapter 3. He shows up as he was a Pharisee as well. And he seems to start to see or to know Jesus. Remember, Jesus had revealed himself to Nicodemus in John 3 and said that he must be born again. And so Nicodemus' encounter, just like our encounter, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders' encounter with Jesus all had to, and all, we all have to come face to face with the question and honestly answer, do you know the Christ? You see, our text actually calls us to believe and know the true Christ. But as our concluding point teaches us today, people who encounter Jesus Anybody, we're all left with the question, do you know the Christ? Not that you went to church when you were little or I said, uh, I said a prayer or um, I know God, I sought God, I saved myself. This kind of language was, is probably stuff that uh, alluding to, leading to you not really knowing the Christ. And it's scary. And so I, so I ask humbly and I ask honestly, do you know the Christ? Like, do you really know the true Christ, friends and family? Do you know this true Christ, or have you lived your whole life, your whole life? These are religious leaders who know the Bible in and out. This is historic. The Pharisees weren't the first ones. This isn't something that's happened for years. People who, who were religious and who thought they had the right way, and you may have known or think you have known or lived your whole life. Even pastors and people do this, and leaders Live your whole life with the wrong version of Jesus and the wrong knowledge. Maybe your knowledge has actually driven you to your very own personal version of Jesus who's in a box, who is not actually the true Christ. Look at verses 28 through 29 again. They say, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and in and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So Jesus is being really smart here. And he's being a really good teacher. 
So let's zoom in again and hear the words again in verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed, okay, he's calling us out as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I'm coming from. So this whole teaching where we have wrestled with the question, do you know the Christ? And the fuller statement of people who encounter Jesus will not fully know him as they question and are confused about it. They could truly know him as they come to grips with the question, do you know the Christ? It, it, It seems like Jesus is saying the opposite, right? But here in our text, Jesus says that they know him. Verse 28 reads, so Jesus, again, Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. So do they really know him? What is he saying? He's being a good what? Teacher. As in he's saying, do you, he's saying, you know me kind of, you think you do. But he's saying, do they know him as in having a personal intimate relationship with him, knowing him? You should obviously see that he's not saying that, right? He's saying they have no excuse. He's saying they have observed his teaching, his miracles in life. He's like, come on, guys. Really? But they refuse to know him. And maybe you are in this kind of relationship with Jesus, if you're honest today. Either you refuse to know him because you are not saved or born again, or maybe you are a believer But because life is hard and you're in this messy middle of life trying to figure life out, the Satan has tricked your heart and he has all your knowledge, all the things you think you know, pointing to him, Satan, and his kingdom and his world. And his ways are are deceiving you and you're just living your life grieving the Holy Spirit of God. If that is you, believer, if he has you losing heart, and forgetting who you know. Or better said, like Paul says, you are forgetting who knows you. You see, that's Jesus' point. He says in the rest of verse 28, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. Man, we struggle with that. We're like, I don't know. God is true. In him, the Father, you do not know. You don't know. So he's being smart. He just said you know them, but now he says you don't know them. Does that mean Jesus is being, no, he's being a good teacher. He's being a good philosopher, okay? Verse 29, he says, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. You see, to answer the question, do you know the Christ, it is relevant for the Christian and the non-Christian. Most times, oh, this is just for the, I'm good. If I believe, I'm good. No. It's relevant for the Christian and for the non-Christian. For the non-Christian, if you do not know him, Come and know him today for the first time. I don't care where you've been, what you've studied. A Backstreet Boy song, right? I don't care who you are, where you've been. <laughs> oh, any of this. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. Man, come to him for the first time. Fall on your face to a holy God. Repent and believe in Jesus. Turn away from Satan and his kingdom and turn to Christ's kingdom in knowing him and in having this true faith, or the same word in Greek, this true belief, John's whole point of his gospel from the mercy and grace that he has given in covering or atoning for our sinful body and soul, for your sinful and my sinful bodies and souls. You see, our God is actually coming back, guys. He's coming back. He's coming back to judge the world and to set everything right. All your pain, all your tears and brokenness have a purpose in the knowledge of Christ. Christ is in the business of redeeming our souls and our whole world, the Bible says. And we will reign with him, the Bible says. 
in a new heavens and a new earth. And he has called us as believers to live life eternally with him now. And so are you living? What, what are you doing? Like, are you really living? How are you using or wasting your knowledge? God's given you all knowledge and skill sets, right? And things and passions and all that. But in that, do you know the Christ and what he's given you? Do you really know the true Christ? Do you even know why you know the things you do or why you crave the knowledge you crave? Do you really know the Christ? Do you remember the words from Jesus in our text of what his children would live and be like? Is your job, is your, are your passions, are your habits, are the things you're learning, do those drive you to know Christ? I mean, I, let's pray Let's pray right now that Jesus' words for ourselves right now and hear these words of Jesus. Don't just hear them as Christianese. You may not understand them. Say, Spirit, help me understand this. Pray these words right now over yourself. And let's listen to them where Jesus said he preached on the temple of the day of booze. And let's, let's go back and let's hear even Jesus is preaching this and saying this and proclaiming this over us, his children. He said, on the last, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is an active thing. This is something that is moving. This is something that is passionate. Rivers are strong. They move. They make noise. They give life. Does your life, does your knowledge do that? He said, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Man, let's live lives and let's pray to live Holy Spirit-filled lives where we can say of ourselves and, and say of each other that our hearts will flow or are flowing with rivers of living water. And let's pray that right now. Pray that in your spirit. And as we respond to know Christ and not any other version of him, but the true Christ. And let's ask him now to give us lives where our hearts will flow like rivers of living water. And I'm not saying for you to know every detail of that. But to just fall on your face and pray and say, God, I don't know. My knowledge is limited. Yours is not. Let me know you first. And he will give those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and he will, then he will add all these things to you. Don't chase the stuff or the things. Don't invert the, the, the truth of the scriptures. Seek him and he'll make, he'll reveal himself to you. Do you realize, guys, that you have the power, the protection, the peace, and true life when we know the true God? So be his child today. Like walk in your status that you are sons and daughters of God. You're not lower class citizens, no matter what the world says about you or about Christians. Walk in the joy of your father. Be comforted by him. Have true joy and love and hope and peace, even in the brokenness, even in the questions, even in the confusion, even when you sometimes honestly are like, man, do, do, do I know the Christ? Know him today is the only thing that will truly sustain and satisfy you in life. Don't chase the fleeting pleasures of the world and don't chase the knowledge of the world. Know your status as God's redeemed child. And let's now worship and sing that way. Let's live life together as his children who know him. And let's exude 
lives that are like these rivers of living water that show the world and show um, even ourselves, man, that we are loved by him and that we actually love other people. So know who you are in Christ today. Like you can know who you are in Christ today as a son and daughter of the most high king who knows who their father is. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you, Lord. We love you. We need you. But if we're honest, Lord, it, it can be difficult, Lord, in this life with the things of the world, Lord, to cling to the promise that we know you. Better yet, you know us. Lord, and so we ask you, Lord, to allow us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and ask and, and be honest and say, man, I don't even, I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> but that you, Spirit, would open our small minds and show us what those disciplines look like. When we need, when we need to wake up in the morning, what things we need to stop doing, what ways we need to pray to you, and what idols we need to let fall. Lord, give us true hunger of you. Let us thirst for you as we come now to respond in worship. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.